My name is Kelsey. I'm one of the ministry staff here. Our reading this morning is from Leviticus 26 on page 127. And the Bible is in front of you in the seat backs, and it will be the first 17 verses. Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves, and do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest, and the grape harvest will continue until planting, and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove the wild beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor, and make you fruitful, and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I'll put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. But if you will not listen to me and carry out all of these commands... And if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring on you sudden terror, wasting diseases, and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your strength. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. Well, that's a cheery reading for this morning, isn't it? Great to be in church. Let me just reiterate, if you are feeling left out, that you're not on the tree, we will absolutely have a time later in the year to uh, include you. We absolutely want to include people in what's happening here. Let's pray as we try and make sense of that interesting passage. Father, we do thank you we can be here today. Blessings and curses. Father, we want to live under your blessing. And Father, bless us with understanding and obedience to your word. We pray this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings and curses. Jane is 35. And she wonders why bad things just keep happening. Her father committed suicide when she was growing up as a teenager. Her sister, just the previous year, had died of cancer. Her husband has left her and she's been diagnosed with cancer as well. You wouldn't blame her if she thought, am I cursed? Why has this happened? 
And then there's John. And he's done well in life. In fact, he's really quite rich. He's only 42. And when you ask him about it, he will say, well, it's because he tithes. And God has paid him back tenfold. And there's a sense of joy, but kind of overconfidence. He's living under the blessing of God, he tells you. What do you say to that? The wealth drips. And then there's Richard. Lovely man. He's in his late 40s now. He's been a faithful Christian all his life, taught in Sunday school, youth group, small groups. He would have loved to have gotten married. He just never met the right Christian woman. He would have loved to have had kids. He continues to faithfully serve God, but he sometimes wonders, has God forgotten him? And there's many other scenarios that you could paint. Cursed by God, blessed by God, forgotten by God. All very real questions we come to today as we look at this chapter on blessings and curses. And I'm very cognizant as I speak across the congregations today, there will be so many different scenarios where people could rightly say, I feel incredibly blessed. And others could say, do these curses still happen today? Because I'd have a claim for that. What are these blessings and curses? What are we to make sense of them today? And what are the questions that come when you look at them? They're the three things we want to look at. What were these blessings and curses in Leviticus? Now, it's worth saying a couple of introductory comments, and I'm not going to spend too long on this because I want to move to think about what it means for us today. Um, when you come through the early chapters of the Bible, there's a number of places where blessings and curses are mentioned. Four particularly kind of jump out. The book of Exodus has some. Leviticus, which is literally written kind of to fill out the law and the priestly system, has this chapter that we've just had read. We had just a part of it, there's 47 verses there, of blessings and curses, though the word curse is not used here in Leviticus, um, the import is that. Um, Deuteronomy, which is the second giving of the law, also has a very long list of blessings and curses, explicitly curses, and then when they get into the land, Joshua repeats this, blessings and curses. Here's a summary of this chapter, if you want to have a look on the screen. Leviticus 26, verse 13, they're the blessings. And they can really be categorised in three different ways. There's material blessings first, prosperity. Uh, there's the sense of safety, they're at peace. And then thirdly, there's the presence of God. And so all aspects of life, it's kind of a nice holy trinity, uh, you've got plenty in fact, the verse says, you haven't even finished last harvest and the next harvest is coming in. So you're overflowing in a material sense. But along with that, you've got no fears because the nations are subdued, you're at peace, God's protecting you. That's a wonderful place to be in. And then thirdly, God's dwelling in your midst, so there's a spiritual richness about your life. You couldn't ask for any more, prosperity, peace and the presence of God. Well, that's the blessings that were promised if they obeyed. What happens if they didn't? Well, interestingly, you get quite a bit of extra material here. And it works like this. There's a general warning at the start, then there's the blessings. 
And then there's a general warning that danger will come upon them. And so terror, disaster will befall them. And there's this kind of repeated cycle that if you won't listen to this first sense of curse, well, another one will befall you. And if you don't listen then, then another one. And so these are the ones that come. First, there's disaster in general. Second, there is drought. In other words, you're materially going to be wiped out and you'll be in a kind of famine conditions. Well, if you don't listen then, danger will come in the terms of wild animals are going to come and terrorise you. Well, if you don't listen then, you'll have war that will beset you and you'll be caught up with. And if that isn't enough, well, what happens? Well, God's going to kick you out of the land. There'll be exile. I mean, it's a, it's a tale of woe. That's the curses. Finally, in verse 40, verse 46, there's a promise of restoration. And I want to just make a couple of observations about these blessings and curses. The first thing to note is this. Um, whether you are blessed or cursed in the Old Testament, and I want to put those language clearly, it was about whether you listened to the Word of God. That was the lifeline for them. And they were to be people who listened, and listening meant you take heed of it and you put it into practice in your life. You know that phrase you have with your children when they're not listening? It really means they're not behaving, isn't it? You're not listening to me. And that's what they were to do. They were to listen. Verse 14 to 16. If you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. It's all about listening to the word of God. Second observation. The curses were really God's discipline. Now, when I hear the word curse, um, you kind of have pictures of movies where you see evil characters and they look at someone that they don't like and I'm going to put a curse on you. That's, I think, what comes to mind. It's a kind of vindictive statement put upon someone. And there's no doubt in this world there will be people that you meet who will curse you. And cursing really means to call down evil and bad things upon people's lives. And spiritually, you can get people who will curse you. But this is a bit different. If you read another translation, say the English Standard Version, the ESV, it would say in verse 18, if after all this you will not listen to me, I will discipline you for your sins seven times over. Now I say that because I think the concept of discipline is one that everyone who's a parent will understand. What do we do when our children won't listen to us and disobey? Well, there's consequences, aren't there? There's discipline. And I'll never forget listening to the great family thinker from America, James Dobson. And it was a talk on family life and he said, look, when your kids are mucking up, don't get angry, take action. In other words, all your anger will do will just inflame them. It's actually not that helpful. You just make things worse. What you want to do is help your child learn that there's a consequence for every action that they take in life. And what you've got to do as a parent is not get angry with them when they misbehave, but rather bring consequences to bear in a kind of dispassionate sense. If you want to do this, this is what happens. And he said, what you must do is follow through on the threat. <laughs> you can't say, oh, look, this is what's going to happen, and then when it happens, oh, it's okay. 
Because then they learn, actually, there's no consequences for actions, which is a terrible thing for a child to learn in life. And this is effectively what God was saying. If you're going to misbehave, if I can use that language, and not listen to me, there's consequences. There is discipline. I will punish you for your sins. And the word punish is what we would say to our children. There's a punishment for this action that you've taken place. Uh, I remember one of my children having to take away their... I mean, the, the bargaining chip was music. That's what they loved. And the player went away for a month in the loft of our house. And they soon learnt that there was consequences for actions. That's what we're talking about with the curses here. Third thing to note, the blessings and curses were national in focus. And I say this particularly for people who have heard or maybe been influenced by prosperity doctrine. If you do this, there's kind of a A equals B or leads to B. It's interesting that even within the framework of blessing, there would be people who had more and people who had less. And the people who had more had to look after those who had less. Uh, when you got to the curses, well, the nation all went down together. There's a corporate nature to the punishments that took place. And I'm sure there would have been faithful Israelites within Israel who literally got caught up in the judgments that God brought against the nation because the nation collectively were being held to account. And the last one speaks profoundly of it. Well, actually, the whole nation is going to be exiled. But the last and I think most significant observation is this. The curses were not the last word. Grace was the last word. And when you read chapter 26 and you get to the end... The last six verses say this. I'm just going to read a summary. Verse 40. But if they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and their hostility toward me, which made me hostile toward them so that I sent them into the land of their enemies, then when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sins... I'll remember my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I'll remember the land. In other words, when they come to their senses and realize what they've done, that they've rebelled against me, I will remember my promise to be their God. In other words, God never forgets through the whole process of blessing and curses or discipline that he is their God. What he wanted them to do was to humble themselves and with humility and a brokenness come back to him and confess their sins. And he says, I will be their God. I'll remember the promises I made to them. Now friends, that's effectively what the blessings and the curses were in Leviticus. How does this apply to us today? If I'm going through a tough time, is it because God is disciplined to me. Well, it may be. It may not be. If I get cancer, has God cursed me? Definitely not. If I tithe, will I get blessed financially? I'm going to come to that. Is being single or unable to conceive or have children a curse? Definitely not. Why do I say that? When you come to the New Testament, this is what I find. And I want to go through a number of things that when you read 
the way Paul addresses us as Christians that speak directly into this particular issue of blessing and curses. The first is this, we live in and through Jesus Christ. Now, we call ourselves Christians and that name came from the Gentile church in Antioch. They were known as the Christ people. The way Paul, when he writes, most commonly describes us is as people who are in the Messiah, in Christ. And it's an interesting description, we are people who are in Christ. In other words, our whole identity is tied up with being and belonging to Jesus. And we live our life in Him and through Him. Now have a look at the verse I've got on the screen there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it's the very introduction to the letter. And he describes the church this way, to the church of God in Corinth, in other words, the gathering of God's people in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ, in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. And it's worth saying, we're part of a new covenant. And so these blessings and curses belong to an old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, which has now been superseded and fulfilled by the new covenant, which is in Christ. What does that mean for us? Well, first thing is this, we are secure in Christ. And I want you to have a look at the verse here on the screen. It's Paul's letter to the Philippians. And he had a very strong affection for this church. And he thanks God for them at the start of the letter. In my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. And so they were a church that loved to partner with others in the gospel ministry. It's what we want to be doing. Being confident of this, and you can see the words underlined, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just put this illustration up. Who remembers in their teenage years the angst of teenage romance? And as a bloke, you'd look at the girls, does she love me? Does she not? The girls would think similar thoughts, I'm told. They would talk with each other. Do you think he likes me? And do you remember that game that you might play with a flower and you would pick the petals? He loves me. He loves me not. And you get down to the end and you think, what's it going to be? Oh, he loves me. <laughs> Relief. <laughs> and I sometimes wonder if people think being a Christian is like that. That we go in and out of relationship with God. He loves me. He doesn't love me. I'm a Christian. I'm part of God's family. Oops, I've must, messed up. I'm out. I'm not part of God's family. Oh, I need to come back in. And we go through this turmoil of wondering does God love me am I in his kingdom and we waver in and out much like the teenager with angst about that girl or guy does he love me does he not have a look at that verse again he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, 
If you're someone who's been born again and you profess Christ as your Lord and Saviour, that is a work of God. He's brought you to this point. He's opened your heart and your mind so you can see him for who he is and you've put your faith and trust in him. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul says is the one who began this good work, he's basically been there before you thought of him. He's begun this good work. What's he going to do? He will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And you see, this is the security that we have in Christ. The one who saved us will actually, he will get us there to the end. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have to involve our own effort and keep trusting and believing. But the one who started this journey is actually going to get us to the end of the journey. He's holding us. His spirit is working in us. And even when we're having bad days and we're struggling to believe or we're turning our back on him, he's actually still there working in our life and he brings us back to him. And it's worth saying at this point, I think that is why sometimes God will allow us to go through tough times to actually remind us that we need him and that we should be following him. We're secure in Christ. Let the pedals go past again. Thirdly, and I feel a bit like a um, steak knife salesman on TV with this, there's more. <laughs> Keeps getting better. If you wonder about how blessings work in the New Testament, this is how I think it works. We have a position in Christ that is secure and filled with blessing. Have a look at what this verse says in, one, in Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many blessings? Every. Where are those blessings? They're in the heavenly realms. And when you read through the following verses, have a look, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 to 10. These are the blessings that he lists off and there's more. He's chosen us, he's predestined us, he's adopted us, he's given us grace, he's redeemed us, he's forgiven us, his will has been revealed to us, he's given us wisdom and understanding. If I can speak to you personally, um, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been chosen, you've been predestined, you've been adopted into his family, you've been given grace, it's been poured upon you, you've been redeemed by the blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been forgiven all your sins. He's now revealed his will to you in his word and he's given you incredible wisdom and understanding in Christ. You actually have it all. Did you know that? You've got every single blessing that there is to have in the heavenly realms. Fear not that you've missed out. You have not. Now note, they're in the heavenly realms. There will still be struggle materially and physically in this world. The final curse is only lifted on the last day. From Genesis chapter 3, there has been a curse upon the land as a result of Adam and Eve falling. It's why this world slowly is falling apart and running down. It's why there's sickness it's why there are 
awful things that take place. That curse that has affected all of us will be lifted when Christ returns. And it's interesting, in Revelation 22, it's the last chapter in the book, it says the curse is lifted. But in the meantime, as we live within the struggles, materially and physically in this world, we are spiritually blessed in Christ. That's our position. But I also want to say, as we put into practice his word, we actually experience his blessing in greater ways. But there's more. If you're worried about being cursed, and I know it's a very real fear that people can have, you cannot be cursed in Christ. We are protected by him. Have a look at this verse, Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the pole. Let me explain it. In Deuteronomy, it said there's a curse, ultimate curse, on someone who is literally crucified. And Jesus died on the cross and he actually took the curse for us. There is now no sense that we can be cursed as Christians. See the language? Christ redeemed us for the curse by becoming a curse for us. The curse has already been taken away in Christ. We can live with no fear of being cursed. I want to say a couple of things on that. Sickness is not God's judgment on your life. It is a very sad and difficult reality of living in a fallen world. And our hearts go out to those who suffer greatly. It's why we have a ministry of pastoral care. It is so important that we care for those who are doing it tough. And one of the mysteries of life is why some people seem to suffer and others don't. And I have no answer for you on that. A lady I know who did suffer greatly, who had cancer with sister and husband left her and cancer. One of the physical realities was she grew up in Port Kembla. Port Kembla is a great place, but unfortunately there is a massive smokestack there. Their school was right next to it. And there's a high incidence of cancer from that generation. Nothing's ever been proved, but you really do wonder. Erin Brockovich, all again. It's life in this world, there is suffering. But friends, in Christ, we are free of the curse. The last thing to note is this, how we live matters to Christ. And the one thing that does not change from the Old Testament to the New Testament is this. God was saying through Moses, how you live matters. And the great passion for Moses was that the people of God would live holy lives reflecting the holiness of their God. Be holy as I am holy. That's what Leviticus is all about. And these blessings and curses were in a sense saying that if you are going to live in a way that obeys me, you will be blessed. We'll be rewarded for that. And let me say, nothing changes in the New Testament. How we live still matters to God. The thought that we are saved by grace, which we are, purely by 
what Christ has done for us and not by what we've done, should never lead a person to say, well, it doesn't matter how I live then. In fact, Paul would say, Meganoita. Now, that's a Greek phrase. It's him kind of yelling at us saying, don't ever think that. God forbid. It's in Romans chapter 6. After he's explained for five chapters the gospel of grace, he says, by the way, some people are saying, so it doesn't matter how I live, God forbid. And he says this after he says, God forbid, in verse 4. We therefore were buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And you see, that's what we do. We live a new life for Christ. As people who are wonderfully saved by his grace. Now, you may have some questions. And here's some that I've thought of. Prosperity doctrine. Give and you'll be blessed. What about this one? Well, let me just say it's right and wrong. If you give, you will be blessed. Let me just make that very clear. Do you know why I say that? Jesus said it's more blessed to what? Give than receive. There's actually a great blessing in giving. It does all sorts of positive things for you as well as blessing others that you then partake in. It's far more blessed to give than to receive. And I keep saying to us, do not hoard, be generous with what you've got. We are to be rivers of blessing, not reservoirs storing up our prosperity. Okay? But there's no promise you're going to get rich. I just want to add that. The blessing will come in all sorts of ways. The promise is God will look after you as you give. Not that you're going to get rich. And if you are rich, you can give more. And be more encouraged to do that. Well, that's the first thing. And I want to say, it's true of all areas of life. What we have, we are to use for God's glory. And there's great blessing in that. We're positionally blessed with all the blessings spiritually that are in heaven. And we'll actually experience it more and more as we put God's work and word into practice. Second question. What about intergenerational sin? You get a verse in Exodus that says, God punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. And people sometimes look and go, our family just seems to be under a curse. I've had people say that to me. What do you say to them? Well, yes, the Old Testament does teach that the sins of the fathers pass on generationally. And it was a judgment. But no, in Christ, you are a new creation. Let me just unpack that. Uh, one of the fears I think parents have is, what am I passing on to my kids? And there's no doubt we actually pass our sins on to our children. It's a very scary thought, but it's a very real thought, and you'll see generations where sin is literally passed on generationally because they keep disobeying the way God wants them to live. And generation after generation suffer for that. But the wonderful news of the gospel is we actually are new creatures and new creations in Christ. And we can break from the past. And there's no doubt there's things that are handed on. I know in talking with Neville Naden, if you asked him about one of the struggles for him in working with Indigenous people, he said it appears almost as a race. They cannot handle alcohol. 
He said he as a young man was a binge drinker. He's given up. And it's one of the great issues at Broken Hill was the binge drinking that he faced up there. And there'll be things that we struggle with, but in Christ we can actually break from them. And that's the good news. We don't have to be defined by the sins of our fathers or our mothers. And I know there'll be things that we struggle with from growing up. Things said to us, things done to us, things modelled to us. And friends, the power of the gospel is that can be broken and a new course can be set. about the person who says I feel cursed bad things keep happening to me and around me what should I do this is the last question there's two things I'd say Uh, the devil is real let me just repeat that the devil is real and spiritual warfare is real and Christians absolutely can be if I can say spiritually attacked and harassed very real our protection for that is the word of god and prayer read ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 to 17 and we can go through very difficult times and bad things can surround us what we need to hold on to is the reality that god has not left us when we go through tough times and that we can pray for protection and strength from the Spirit of God to help us with whatever we're facing. We can have words spoken over us us that can feel like a curse. One of the worst things parents can ever do to their children is say to them words like this, you are useless, there's no hope for you. And I don't know if you've had those words spoken over you, but they can feel like a curse. And they're very powerful. But they can be broken. And the power of the gospel is we can be liberated from the effects that have actually come upon us. And so what I want to do now is actually just stop and have some time to pray. Because I'm sure there are people here who are going through tough times. You may be living struggling with things that you feel in bondage to you may feel like your life has been cursed in the way things have worked out and what I want to do is just allow some time and space for the Spirit of God to minister his grace and love to us so I'm just going to invite us to be quiet now and close our eyes And I want to read some things to us and then pray for us and allow us to also pray. If today there are particular issues where you feel distant from God as a result of, I want to encourage you to confess them now before God. If today there's an issue where you feel cut off from God or abandoned by him I want to encourage you to confess them to him today now 
If today you, for whatever reason, have felt cursed by God in one particular area or all areas of your life, I want to encourage you to confess that now to him today. If there are words that have been spoken to you or over you that you want to break with today in Jesus' name, I want to encourage you to confess them to God now, today. If today you feel like the devil has been harassing you spiritually, I want you to confess that to God today. I'm going to be quiet now for a minute. I'm going to allow us to pray and allow God's spirit and his love and grace to minister to our hearts. I'm going to pray for us and pray over us now. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the God of grace. You are the God of love. You're the God of freedom. And you're the God who forgives sins. You're the God and Father of our Lord Jesus who has loved us and redeemed us by his precious blood. I ask you, Father, for your people here today, where people feel caught in a bondage, by your spirit, free them, where people feel abandoned and cast out, by your spirit, fill them, where people have memories and pasts that haunt them, by your spirit, heal them. Where people are struggling with spiritual strongholds that are trapping them in their lives. By your spirit, forgive them and release them. And where people feel harassed spiritually and under attack, by your spirit, protect them. Fill us all with your Holy Spirit so they will know how blessed we are in Christ, how secure we are in his love. And may we together renew our desire to live new lives for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing. But friends, if you would like some more prayer after the service for whatever you're thinking about going through, I would invite you to come down the front. Our prayer team would love to pray for you in a special way if that would be of assistance. But this is our collection song. Let's stand and sing and give to the work of ministry if we don't give electronically and put our connect cards in and rejoice in the God who loves us.